Welcome to First Unitarian Society of Minneapolis, the birthplace of Congregational Humanism. We carry on that tradition of free thought today, dedicated to promoting a free search for truth, meaning, and justice. Our web address is firstunitarian.org. I'm David Breeden, Senior Minister. Welcome. In that reading, the contemporary American poet Rosemary Watola Tromer says, and if it's true we're alone, we're alone together, the way blades of grass are alone, but exist as a field. As poetry will, these lines hold a deep truth. Yes, we are alone, and no, we're not alone. We are alone together. It's a paradox. Well, like most of human life in that way, isn't it? The very concept of liberalism is bound up in claims of individual worth. Individual worth and dignity, we say that in one of our principles. It's the first UU principle, individualism. It's long been a goal of European political thought, yet despite the many fictional depictions of lone, successful, individuals, I think Clint Eastwood, right? Actually, relational being is our lived experience. Relational being. We know we are connected, but then what does that mean to be connected? This question sets up an anxious tension that permeates Western societies. If it's true we are alone, we are alone together push and pull. The disjunction between our mythology of individualism and our actual location in community can be wrenching as many in our society live and in the anxiety of personal accusations of failure, which often leads to dropping out of the very groups that could make us happy. Back in 2001, the American political scientist Robert D. Putnam published a book called Bowling Alone. It's become a classic. And in that book, Putnam traces an alarming trend in the United States, a trend of disengagement from traditional social anchors, such as oh, bowling leagues and service clubs and social organizations and organized religion. What was being lost, according to Robert Putnam's research, was an intangible but very real asset that he calls social capital, which he defines as ways in which our lives are made more productive by social ties. Now looking at the entire book title, which is Bowling Alone, colon, The Collapse and Revival of American Community, we can now see that Dr. Putnam's optimism was showing in that title. The sad fact is that the decline in social cohesion that Putnam was tracing back in 2001 has accelerated with the advent of social media. It's a reality that becomes painfully clear. His book has just been reissued and updated for its 20th anniversary. We all do well to join Putnam in searching for that antidote to fragmentation, even if trends show that, well, it's not very likely at the moment. The challenge is clear. 
Americans are losing connection with each other and therefore our larger society is fragmenting in ever wider circles. That's bad for the individual human psyche, for social cohesion, and for political stability. Community and the sense of belonging resulting from participation in community is clearly the answer, but Americans are not choosing to join in the existing groups. Therefore, many of us are alone, bowling alone, dining alone, drinking alone, seeking truth and justice alone. After looking into the accumulating research, one is tempted to shout, well, just join something, everybody, come on. But join what? After all, I mean, we do know that people are maddening creatures, don't we? One incentive for joining a group of human beings is that the group has some purpose or outcome that we ourselves identify and agree with. But the complaints are true, aren't they? Many groups spend more time on planning potlucks or maintaining big buildings than on changing the world. Groups are also, also often spend most of their time demonstrating why they are not like other groups. Humanists join humanist groups, I do. Those groups, however, often disappoint because their chief focus appears to be finding ways not to be religious. Negative definition makes sense, but negative definition doesn't make for a long-term satisfying communal group to be a part of. For many of us, the question is, what are we gonna hate this week? Well, that just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to a lot of us as a way to glue things together. Humanists spend a lot of time not being religious. Unitarian Universalists spend a lot of time not being secular. Both groups spend a lot of time protesting, or I guess it's anti-testing rather than a-testing. Joining for negative reasons doesn't lead to positive effects and community is what we need. I'm reminded of the old labor rights song from the Little Red Songbook, remember that? From your college days, perhaps, the good old IWW songbook, a tune sung to the battle hymn of the Republic, they divide us by color, they divide us by tongue, they divide us men and women, they divide us old and young, but they'll tremble at our voices when they hear these verses sung, for the union makes us strong. Perhaps we are not prepared to join the IWW. However, most politically, socially, and religiously liberal people can sign on to those sentiments expressed in that song. It's the old saw about liberals building bridges rather than building walls. Bridge building is what liberals do. It's what makes us liberal. For liberals, dividing people based on old prejudices just is not acceptable. In Bowling Alone, Putnam talks a lot about two functions of community, bonding and bridging. Some groups bond over similarities, closing out differences. Humanists or Unitarian Universalists, well, we're not Christians anyway. Well, other groups bridge across obvious differences in order to reach deeper connections. Humanists, Unitarian Universalists, Christians, Muslims, etc., joining, oh, I don't know, to solve the homeless situation, for example. Sure, bonding over similarities is considerably easier than bridging over differences, which is why we must 
keep trying. That's why we're here at First Unitarian Society. That's what we're doing, bridging. That is, I believe, what we are called to do. Because if it's true we are alone, we are alone together. If you ever took an introductory philosophy course, you know that Western thinkers have long searched for an unmoved mover, meaning some sort of God or at least something solid and changeless, unlike the reality we observe all around us. The concept was that given all the movement in our cosmos, surely there's something outside and beyond it that set it all into motion, something unmoved and unmoving, something solid to hold on to. The search has been for a still point in the turning world, as the poet T.S. Eliot phrased it. That point would be the holy place, the sacred place, the omphalos, the navel or belly button of the world in ancient views. Human religions have generally focused on finding that kind of stability, focused on finding an island in the storm of human reality, about finding stability through finding that belly button of stability and then staring at it. But scientific inquiry teaches us there is another way, the way that our cosmos actually is. There is no up, no down, no over, no under, no center, no edge. There is no unmoved mover, and there is no still point for our turning world. No, all the movers are moving. All the points are turning. Everything is moving, spinning, changing. That is reality. The monotheistic religions attempted to destroy the older human understanding that everything is a cycle, a circle. The monotheisms attempted to establish a static creator above and outside the moving world that we experience every day. But all that is imagination, and I would even say misplaced imagination. The philosopher Heraclitus of Ephesus, somewhere in the 500s BCE, stood apart saying that the creative element among those four elements, earth, air, fire, and water, is fire. Fire, the ever-changing, ever-creating, and ever-destroying element. No, we can never step in the same river twice. The water is different. We ourselves are different every time. The only constant is change. Why imagine a counterfactual static cosmos when the moiling, roiling, churning one we see is so beautiful and full of potential? Many have asked in desperation, where is the foundation of truth and knowledge? Like the belief that the earth has four corners or that four pillars hold it up, the foundations of human truth and knowledge too float in space. Foundations anchors, ways to nail things down, ways to be sure of this or that, they don't exist. And that's fine with many of us as we enjoy being along 
for this marvelous ride. Fixity, surety, firm foundations, those are the stuff of right-wing religion, of fascism, both religious and political, prepackaged, pre-wrapped, and stultifying. The search for an unmoved mover is the search for sameness, uniformity, conformity. In our time, the danger of falling into metaphysical confusion and illusion is just too great. This is no longer a parlor game we are engaged in. We must not make the mistakes so many of our ancestors did. The earth is not static. The cosmos is not static. Nothing is unmoved. Nothing does not turn. And that is okay. It's only that we must remember and act accordingly. The contemporary American philosopher Thomas Nail phrased it considerably better than I can. And let me close with these, his words. He says, we can no longer believe the old story that humans are moving around on a relatively static earth. Instead, we are being forced to confront the fact that the earth is an entangled meshwork of moving cycles and systems in which humans are one part. As the earth is losing its balance, we are all witnessing the movements we did not see before, much as if we knocked over a dozen plates spinning perfectly on pegs. The destruction dramatically reveals how much motion was previously at work and we're in danger of messing it up. We used to talk about geological time as if it were a process so slow it was imperceptible. Today, we are witnessing before our eyes the earth sinking into the sea and forests transforming into deserts. In addition, we are seeing the creation of entirely new geological strata made of plastic, chicken bones, and other garbage that will remain in the fossil record and affect geological formations for thousands of years. The Anthropocene, more than any other transformation, is awakening large portions of humanity to the realization that we have never lived in a static or intrinsically stable world. Hallocene stability has been a product of exquisitely balanced moving systems. That is the call of our changing season to remember. Thanks for listening. You can find much more about humanism and what's happening at First Unitarian Society in Minneapolis by visiting our website at firstunitarian.org.